Hi, welcome to The Journey of Parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Aduce, a licensed child clinical psychologist. Our intention for this series is to offer the most common tips that I recommend to parents in supporting their children and themselves. We're here to sift through all the latest research and most pressing issues in parenting so you don't have to. Have you ever had one of those days when your kid seems to be totally on edge and then the littlest thing sets them off? Or maybe your teen has been chill and relaxed, but then something seems to upset them, leading to slamming doors and yelling matches. When these moments spring up, how do you respond? Maybe in these times, you also feel big emotions pouring out of you. Sometimes these emotions can feel unexpected, especially if they've gotten so bottled up that they release at a time you did not plan for. We've all been there. Welcome to the art of being human. The skills that help us manage our emotions and cope with big feelings are called emotion regulation skills. A common misconception about emotion regulation is that kids, and adults for that matter, who have strong emotion regulation skills are very even-keeled and calm all of the time. But emotion regulation is not about getting rid of all your emotions. When you regulate your emotions, you still feel your feelings, which means you're not ignoring or avoiding them, but rather being aware of your emotional state, labeling and identifying the emotions that come up, and noticing your thoughts, physical sensations, and behaviors related to that emotion. And there's not a one-size-fits-all for emotional regulation skills. Depending on the circumstances, you might choose to surf the wave of an emotion and allow it to rise and fall. This approach to managing your emotions takes into account that all emotions pass with time. They don't last forever, so you can observe them change within yourself. Again, depending on what's going on within you and around you, you can choose other ways to manage your emotions. For example, you can use a coping skill, such as distraction, to change the way you're feeling in the moment. Emotion regulation is about bringing your attention and intention to your emotions. When you tune into how you're feeling, you're better able to figure out your emotional needs and respond to them. Remember, someone with strong emotion regulation skills is not necessarily calm and relaxed all the time and doesn't avoid strong emotions. Really, they're someone who identifies their emotions as they arise just as they are and have the skills to balance their emotional highs and lows in the ways that work best for them. The other important note about big emotions is that some emotions are more pleasant or unpleasant than others, but there's no need to assign a moral quality to our emotions, such as good or bad. To improve our emotional health, it's essential that we have the space to feel our emotions. And when labeling a feeling as bad, we might feel a sense of shame, which can cause some of us to hide or stuff these feelings down. Not only is this unproductive, but it can also make things worse. Instead of viewing an emotion as being good or bad, 
we can view it as being a natural human response and something that doesn't warrant judgment. Our emotions can be expected responses to things like triggers, stressors, or something we're experiencing in the moment. Of course, emotions can be pesky and lead to actions or behaviors that are challenging or harmful. For a toddler, these behaviors could be temper tantrums, hitting and biting, which can be caused by feelings of anger. For a child, it might be refusing to go to school because of social anxiety or fears of embarrassment. For a teen, it might be engaging in risky behaviors if they're feeling bored. When it comes to building emotion regulation skills and helping kids and teens cope with big emotions, there are three primary areas to consider. One, identifying emotions, which is the process of labeling and naming emotions. Two, communicating emotions. After your child identifies their emotions internally, they then can communicate them. But how do they figure out what they might need to communicate? When it comes to helping your child do this, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to ask them to talk about their emotions all the time. It's about helping them state what their needs are in the moment, such as needing a break or alone time. And three, coping with emotions. Once your child can name their feeling, it's time for them to decide what to do with that feeling. We'll cover tips that help with these three areas. Tip number one, teach your child the hand model of the brain. One of the very first concepts that I teach parents, kids, and teens in my sessions is Dr. Daniel Siegel's hand model of the brain. You can teach this to children as young as four years old. It's the foundation for understanding what exactly is happening in our brains and bodies when we experience emotions, especially big, unpleasant emotions. It goes like this. Take your hand and tuck in your thumb. Your thumb represents an area of the brain called the amygdala, also known as the emotion center of the brain. This part of the brain houses feelings like fear, anxiety, and other strong, unpleasant emotions. Next, wrap your fingers over your thumb to represent the rest of your brain. Your pointer finger represents the prefrontal cortex. This part of our brain is responsible for decision-making, problem-solving, organizing, and planning, also known as our executive functioning skills. Now let's say your child or teen loses it and flips their lid. When this happens, the fingers on your hand model of the brain pop off of the thumb. Now it should look like you're holding up the number four with your hand. In this brain state, when we're experiencing a strong emotional response, our prefrontal cortex or the thinking part of our brain is disconnected. This is why if your child has a temper tantrum or your teen is flooded with a wave of emotions, it's not effective to launch into a lecture or problem-solving session. In this flipped lid state, it's also not the time to teach new coping skills because that thinking part of our brain is not working as well right now. Instead, find a time when both you and your child are calm to teach how the situation could have been handled differently. For some of the families I work with, 
Simply holding up this flipped lid hand is one way of communicating how the child is feeling in the moment. Rather than trying to access that prefrontal part of the brain to label the emotion, the hand position is a quick way of signaling to you that your child is experiencing a strong emotion. Anytime that your child or teen communicates either verbally or non-verbally in an appropriate way about their emotional state, celebrate and praise it way more than you think you should, especially if it's a new skill they're learning. It may sound something like, wow, thank you so much for telling me how you feel right now. I'm so proud of you. This is a key step that's missed in teaching emotion regulation skills. Giving positive feedback is the primary way to teach your child or teen a new skill and point to the specific behavior, like communicating their emotional state with you, that you're hoping to see more of. If you're looking more for the rationale on why this step is so important and tips on how to provide positive feedback effectively, Go back and listen to episode two of The Journey of Parenting. We talk about increasing positive behaviors. Identifying our emotions is the first step to regulating them. As Dr. Siegel so aptly stated, we must name it to tame it. So it's worth spending time understanding the hand model of the brain and working on our next tip. Tip number two, model emotion regulation. One of the best ways to help your kid and teen cope with big emotions is to model the behavior you hope to see. Our kids are like sponges. For better or worse, they soak up what's going on around them in their environment. So how adults manage their own emotions influences how their child or teen might learn to regulate emotions. With this in mind, start with labeling your own emotions around your child or teen. Most of the time, when I support parents with this step, they quickly learn that they too need support in identifying what they're feeling. Parents become their own emotion detectives, focusing on the three clues of emotions. One, facial clues. Two, body clues. And three, verbal clues. You can ask the question, how do I know I'm feeling X emotion, such as anxious? When I feel anxious, I get a worried and furrowed brow and straight mouth. My body feels tense by my shoulders and neck, and my speech may be more rushed and fast-paced. Parents can go one step further by figuring out what they might be feeling with their child. To invite your child into your own self-reflection, maybe say at the end of the day, work was a lot today and my body feels slumped, eyes are droopy, what am I feeling right now? Of course, you can adapt how you approach this based on the age of your child or teen. There are a lot of cool tools to help your child expand their emotional vocabulary. But keep in mind, adults can benefit from this support too. Research shows that on average, adults can only identify up to three emotions as they're feeling them in the moment. Happy, sad, and angry. If you could use little extra support with naming emotions, try looking online for a feelings wheel or mood meter. 
Tip number three, empower your child to think like a scientist and test out what coping skills work for them and which ones don't. After naming our emotions, we're left with the step that most parents are interested in, the taming part. One of the most essential skills to teach your child or teen about emotion regulation is how to assess for themselves what coping tools are most useful to them, during which situations, and for which types of emotions. Additionally, it's key to note that while some coping skills work best now, the most effective tools may change over time. So it's important to refresh and revisit your child's coping toolbox every once in a while. To start, choose a time when you and your child are feeling calm and relaxed. Jot down some of the most common emotions that your child or teen might experience. This could include the more challenging emotions and more pleasurable ones. Doing this exercise yourself, alongside your child or teen, can help make this activity more effective. Next, begin generating different actions or coping skills that you've tried when feeling each type of emotion. For example, for sadness, you might identify talking to a friend, asking for a hug, sleeping, or crying. Even for actions that we may not consider a coping skill, like crying, there are times when this action is what we are emotionally needing, and it can feel good to release and let it out. These actions do have the potential to be a problem, though, if, for example, you're crying so often that it's interfering with your day-to-day functioning. This action is then no longer helpful. But if the action is benefiting your emotional health, great. After generating different actions or coping skills for each feeling group, help your child or teen note the actions that may be most effective for them and ones that they want to work on using more. It may be helpful to also identify actions that are ineffective or not appropriate. Like when we feel angry, perhaps throwing things could feel good, but it's not a safe option. If you're not sure which new actions to try, a quick online search will pull up long lists of coping strategies, and you and your child can sift through these and decide which ones resonate best. Some of the most common new coping skills that I work on with parents and children include diaphragm breathing, also known as deep belly breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, changing automatic thoughts, and behavioral activation. For some of these skills that your child or teen may have already had exposure to, like breathing skills, it can be helpful to have a professional who's trained to provide instruction and guidance. Lots of kids and teens I work with have had exposure to breathing skills in school, and often they find these coping tools boring. I invite them to keep an open mind. And I also share about the incredible benefits of diaphragm breathing and how it's different from other breathing techniques. This is a technique that has been around since the beginning of human history. Some breathing professionals have worked at it for decades to the point where they're able to run a marathon barefoot around the Arctic Circle. I find that these types of facts get some buy-in from the child or teen. 
They tend to be more open to relearning how to breathe from their diaphragm, what that does physiologically to their body, and as a result, what it can do when they're feeling strong emotions. Another way to encourage buy-in is through modern technology. Fitness watches, heart rate monitors, and biofeedback apps can be powerful tools. With them, they can see how their breathing skills can directly impact physiological markers such as their heart rate. It's often an empowering experience for a child to see that an action they're taking is affecting their biology. In my clinical experience, it's particularly impactful for children and teens who often feel as though they have no control over their environment or the experiences that they have. This is often the case for youth with chronic medical conditions, frequent hospitalizations, or pain. When it comes to incorporating a new coping skill, treat it just like you would learning a new instrument or new sport. To get better, you have to practice regularly. Maybe there's one week that you and your family can commit to learning a new coping skill. Each family member can choose a skill to practice for 5 to 10 minutes each day. And if that time commitment is too much, even committing to one minute each day is more effective than 15 minutes on one day out of the week. Try to help your family develop a beginner's mindset by thinking like a scientist and treating this like an experiment. The goal is to test out what skills are most beneficial to their mental and emotional health. You can read thousands of studies showing that meditation improves sleep, mood, and anxiety, but the most important experience at the end of the day is your own, not what participants in these studies experience. And you are the best person to test whether it works for you. If at the end of your own personal experiment, you find that it was ineffective, consider if there are things you want to change or tinker with. Or maybe you decide that it's not a skill that's effective for you at this moment, but you're willing to come back to it in a few months. When you learn how to practice this for yourself, you'll be more able to empower your child or teen to do the same. Lastly, I like to remind parents to keep their expectations in check, especially when it comes to how long it might take their child to use a new coping skill in the heat of a big emotion. Once the new coping skill becomes automatic, then you can prompt your child or teen to use it for a big emotion. Again, think of the time it takes an athlete to perfect a specific skill. It's unrealistic to expect them to have it down for a big game after only practicing it a few times. And even when they're able to use this skill in the game, it doesn't mean that they'll land it every time. However, every one of these moments is a learning opportunity. Each moment we experience a strong emotion is a chance to put an action or coping skill into practice. We can then reflect on its effectiveness and adjust accordingly, just as a scientist would do. When it comes to helping your child or teen cope with big emotions, it's simply not as easy as the social media parenting influencers make it out to be. It's a practice that takes time and requires patience and lots of repetition. For you and your child or teen, there are three key components of emotion regulation skills. One, identifying emotions. 
two, communicating emotions, and three, coping with emotions. Let's recap. What can you do to help your child or teen build emotion regulation skills? Tip number one, teach your child or teen about the hand model of the brain. Maybe start using it as a hand signal for yourself or your child to communicate that they need space to manage strong emotions. And remember, when they've flipped their lid, which is when the fingers on your hand model pop off of the thumb, it's not the time to try and teach new coping skills or give a long lecture about what they should have done instead. Tip number two. Model emotion regulation skills for your child or teen by identifying your own emotions out loud. Like, daddy or mommy is feeling so exhausted after work today, and I need to listen to calming music right now to relax. If you're not sure what you're feeling, try using different emotion identification tools and get your kid in on it too to help be an emotion detective with you. And tip number three. Empower your child to think like a scientist. Test out different coping skills in various situations to see which ones are most effective. Keep the ones that work and leave the rest. Remember that getting good at applying new coping skills is like learning a new sport. It requires daily practice for us to commit the skill to muscle memory and time for it to take hold when we really need it the most. The more you practice these skills, the more you'll come to appreciate the world of emotions. And empowering your child to do the same will help them to work with their emotions rather than against them. That's it today for the journey of parenting. Wherever you are in your parenting journey today, know that you aren't alone in this adventure. One that's full of laughter, tears, yelling, silence, giggles, the coulds, woulds, shoulds, and maybe some more tears. The journey of parenting is here, rain or shine, through the highs and the lows. 